Right. Come on in, everybody. We'll get started. And uh, you'll need the handout that we have been going through over the last few weeks. Some of you brought it back, but if you never got it or you didn't bring it back, it's okay. We have some. The guys are passing them out.
right, here's what's uh, coming up. Tonight at 6 is the uh, football party, Super Bowl party. Uh, and if you haven't registered, you heard Pastor Larry say today that uh, to let him know, we had to close the registration so you can't register online now, but we can probably fit you in and would love to do that. So see him or see me before you leave today uh, about that. Our midweek program is going. Midweek program has a bunch of stuff uh, that is all helpful for adults, teens, and children. For the adults, we've got our three classes, Master Plan for Life, Parenting with Purpose and Between the Testaments. And while those three classes are being taught, then our junior high and senior high have their own classes. And then our elementary age kids have theirs in Pioneer Club and there's nursery and toddler. This Saturday at 10 a.m. at our house is our next newcomer's brunch. And we'd love to have you for that. So please go to our website, cbctrenton.com and register for it. If you've been around the church for a while but never been to one of the brunches, then consider yourself a newcomer to that, and we would love to, love to have you. Uh, two Sundays left in this particular series that we're doing today and two more. And then after that, the first Sunday in March, March the 3rd, and for three weeks following, four weeks total, we will have our newcomer's orientation class. So if you are new to the church and you're considering that this might be the place that God would have you to uh, serve and grow, we offer this orientation class. I lead that for four weeks. We give you a notebook of material, tells you about our church, where we came from, what we believe, why we do things the way we do. It will put you in good position to make a knowledgeable decision about whether or not to become a member of our, our church. So if you're in that category, then you don't need to register for it. You can just uh, show up at the class. It's during this hour, and it will be three weeks from start three weeks from today. Now, what will be going on in here when I'm not here and I'm leading that class? For those four weeks, we've got a couple of our guys who will be leading a teaching in here. The first two weeks, Brother Paul McKenzie is going to teach for us, and then the net final two weeks, uh, Brother Billy Cochran will teach. Easter is the final Sunday of March. On that day, we don't have the second hour, just one worship service at 1030 that day. And then the first week of April, April the 7th, we'll start a new series in here. That new series is going to be What's the Difference? And it's going to cover church history and in particular, with a particular view toward what's the difference between the myriad of denominations that you, that you see out there. Because that question comes up often. So I've had in the past six months, year, a number of church history questions that folks have had. So we'll be able to kill uh, that, scratch that itch a bit by covering some church history, but then focusing in on the, the denominations and the differences uh, between them. We'll be sending a mailer out to the community for that. So that will start April the 7th. We have about three and a half years left, our church does, on our current 10-year plan. In that 10-year uh, plan, we have a number of tasks that, by God's grace, we hope to accomplish. And over the last six and a half years, we've been methodically going through those. For the three and a half that are left, we have four major projects, if we are able to do them. I'll remind you, because I've mentioned these often, but I'll remind you as to what those are. And uh, I'll go in the order of... Uh, from least to most difficult. The first one is the establishment and then over time expansion of mercy ministry through our church. Mercy ministry is just ministry to help people in, in need, various kinds of, of need. And uh, we call that the umbrella uh, for that ministry is called community cares and that those will be our, our mercy ministries. Now, we started that with our partnership in the uh, Downriver uh, Pregnancy Resource Center, uh, helping expectant mothers who need help with their, their pregnancies. So we partnered with the uh, D, uh, DPRC, and uh, that's just a start for that, and then we can, we'll add things to it uh, over time. The, the next one is what I call, the umbrella term is Church Collaborative. And it is our church collaborating with other churches for the purpose of planting churches and 
increasing the health of existing churches. So church planting and revitalization would be the, the idea. Under the umbrella term, church collaborative. We co-labor to, together. Uh, in March, next month, on March the 14th, I'm going to be, we're going to be hosting, I'll be hosting as the pastor, a number of pastor friends here on, on March the uh, 14th. And it will be uh, to hear about an initiative from one of our missionaries, Chris Anderson. Chris Anderson is with uh, Biblical Ministries Worldwide. Chris is the guy who has written a number of hymns, some of them that we, we sing, but he also has written and edited these little booklets that we have in our resource center called Gospel Meditations for Mothers, Gospel Meditations for Fathers, Gospel Meditations on Prayer, on Missions. He's got a whole bunch of these. They're all very good. So Chris, Chris uh, has written songs. He's pastored a church. He planted a church. He you know, edits this series, and he's about 10 years younger than me, and I hate him. I mean, just, my goodness, a house of fire just accomplishing all this. He's a, he's a great guy and he's a good friend. But he is uh, now a vice president with Bi Biblical uh, Ministries Worldwide. Our church supports him. And uh, Biblical Ministries Worldwide is starting, it happens, an initiative called the Healthy Church Network, which is exactly the kind of thing we want to do. So a couple months ago, Chris says, hey, we're starting the Healthy Church Network. I'd like for you to be part of it. I said, well, funny you should ask. We, we have that on our 10-year plan uh, to do. So they're getting this off the ground, and they're holding regional meetings throughout the country, and their first regional meeting is here on March the 14th. So next month we'll be doing that. I'll be inviting some pastor friends. Chris will be here to explain that initiative. So whenever we can partner with other people to do stuff we were already planning on doing, I love it when a plan comes together, okay? And I have no desire at all to reinvent the wheel. So if we can partner with others to do, do that, then we thank the Lord, Lord for it. So that's the church collaborative, which may uh, be resolved for us by us being involved in the Healthy Church Network. So stay tuned. And then thirdly, the third big initiative, and I told you now they get more difficult, more involved, uh, the Counseling Center. You've heard me talk a, a, a lot about that. And uh, we've been working on that, chipping away at that for a few years. Chipping away at that means determining uh, what training that you are going to require for your people that will be involved in the counseling center. We've done that using the School of Biblical Counseling through the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. We have some of our people who are going through that. We have one couple in our church that's finishing the uh, final two or the final class uh, to get their certificate through that. So that's moving forward. Meanwhile, uh, back in March of last year, so almost one year ago, I heard about an organization called Foundations Christian Counseling. And what they do is they come into your church or in your area and they will establish the counseling center and all the infrastructure that goes with it and use your people and other people in order to populate it. So it's another one of those don't re reinvent the wheel. So we've been working with foundations about the possibility of using that as our avenue to do this, whether it's through foundations or our original plan was just to start our own, which uh, I'm in contact with many churches who do operate their own, so we can do that. But that is underway. And um, uh, this, not this week, but the following week, uh, I have a Zoom call with the, our contact at foundations uh, about that. So the, the counseling center could launch as early as later this year, depending on how things go with foundations. If not, then it'll go into the following year, but that's, that's moving forward. And then the fourth final initiative, and the one that is most robust, is uh, the Road to Maturity Full Service Discipleship for uh, a Full Life. Uh, that involves many aspects and many moving pieces. And I have been talking about that with you over these last few weeks. This idea of a full service discipleship means we want to be a church that covers every event that people will go through that could derail them from their progress in maturity, in Christian maturity. Uh, we also, though, want to help people uh, in a proactive way to prepare them for every phase 
that they will go through in a normal life course. So if a person lives from zero to the 70 or 80 that I was talking about in the first hour, then during those years, there are certain phases that all of us go through. And if you don't negotiate those phases well, they can derail you. So our desire is not simply to help people with everything that comes up, curveballs that come into your life. There's that. We have a counseling center. We'll have a counseling center for that. But we want to help you before you get to the transitions. We want to prepare you for it. And we're sure we can do this. Here's why we're sure. The Bible covers everything, one. And two, you've got the collective wisdom of the body of Christ. A bunch of us have been through it. We all know how you're not supposed to do it. So we can tell you how not to do it before you get there. And we can share with you the wisdom that God has given us. I mean, it's really just premarital counseling applied to every other phase of life. And instead of only doing premarital, let's do pre-everything, is the idea. So we have 10 phases that we've identified. And uh, for those 10 phases, we want to offer, if you look at the top of page 15 in your notes, we want to offer three things to folks at each of those phases. Instruction targeted to the opportunities and challenges ahead in that phase. Support from those in and past that phase. And then resources for ongoing uh, development. For the last few weeks, I've been giving you an example of the kind of instruction under number one at top of page 15 that would go into preparing people to have their uh, first child. And preparing people to have a first child or, or a child who's going into the toddler stage, we've got a list of things that they need help with ahead of time to be prepared for. So this is just one. And one of those is the idea of how do I establish myself as a godly authority in the life of this little one to set them now on a good trajectory for the remainder of their, their upbringing. This issue of authority and submission is a huge issue, and beginning on page 15 and over the last few weeks, I've been going over that with you. So if you'll look at page 16, The top of page 16, I say each of the authorities above, and those authorities above are government, employers, congregations, and parents, four of them. And all four of those have, and I'm stealing this, you see the footnote at the bottom from Jonathan Lehman and his book, Authority, his very helpful book. And Jonathan lays this out, I think, very helpfully. Each of those four authorities has the right of command, while some legitimate authority is limited to the right of, of counsel. Husbands have authority in the home, but they're not empowered with an enforcement mechanism. Pastors and elders in the, in the church uh, are given authority in the church, but are likewise not empowered with an enforcement mechanism. Both husbands and pastors exercise their authority primarily through servant leadership and persuasion. It's still authority that should be followed because God says so, and although they cannot enforce, this will be part of what God takes care of. I don't have to take care of that. And I gave an example last week of saying, you know, what if I became aware of someone in our congregation who was out on social media and they were saying things that might be harmful to their testimony. And it comes to my attention, and I need to approach that brother or sister. Well, then that brother or sister, assuming I come to them with the right tone and you know, all of that, ought to be willing to give ear to, the, to that and, and heed that. But I can't make them do that. Unless they're out and out sinning, if they're out and out sinning, well, then I would have to bring that to the church, and then we would have to go through the process that the Bible gives for uh, church, church discipline. So I can, I can persuade, I can attempt to do that, and that's the same kind of thing that husbands have in the home. And it does temper the way you go about exercising uh, your authority a bit. 
But God has given the other four, the government, employers, and, um, and parents, and, and the congregation. The congregation itself has an enforcement mechanism like church discipline. So you see that box on page 16. Command versus counsel. How are they the same? Each of them has the right to issue directives that bind the conscience. You should do this. How are they different? One can enforce through discipline. The four mentioned at the bottom of page 15 can do that. Those that, the other two, husbands and pastors, have no right to enforce through through discipline. I have no independent authority to remove somebody from our church. Only the congregation can do that. The congregation has the authority to do that. Examples and mechanism of in enforcing parents of young children, they can, they can punish. The state uh, can punish. The church has the keys that Jesus gave, and that is the right of of church discipline. Husbands and elders don't, don't have. And the theological emphasis is different for each of these. Those that are government and the, the congregation and employers and parents, they are ruling from the God who is on his throne and he is then delegating that rule through them. That's God's transcendence. But because the other two, pastors and husbands, they don't have that right of enforcement like God has, and God has authorized them to carry it out in those other four realms, the theological emphasis is not God's transcendence, but His eminence. You guys know what is meant by that? That is God near as opposed to God distant. And it's God more relational than God as authority. And that's the idea in these other two for husbands and elders that your influence is much less authority and much more relationship. That you persuade. That if people come to respect, if a wife comes to respect her husband and then is inclined to, is inclined to follow his, his loving lead. So I went over that for the last few weeks. That's just one issue in one of the 10 areas that you would want to prepare somebody for. So you can see this is a tall order because you've got 10 areas and you've got a ton of issues in, in each one of those. Now, at the top of page 15, we said we want to give instruction about stuff like that. But then we also want to have you in groups then with people who are either in that or have gone past that that can share their wisdom with regard to that. So you would be then in groups that would meet on Sunday mornings during second hour and on Wednesday nights. And you would go to the ones that are appropriate for you at the, at the time. You would get the kind of instruction I'm talking about here, but you would do that in a setting with people who fit in those categories so that you can discuss them together. And then the third thing is a boatload of resources to help you with that from people who are smarter than me and smarter than us. So bottom of page 16 and into page 17, this is just... A bunch of resources for the infant-toddler stage that touch upon this issue of authority and submission. So there are videos, and then there are, you see I've got listed here a bunch of blog posts that carry on into page 17 on different subjects, podcasts, conference audio, These, this is... This is audio from the annual conference that our friends at the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation do. But then above these, among these, perhaps most important, are the JBC articles. JBC is the Journal of Biblical Counseling. And our church subscribes to the Journal of Biblical Counseling. And the Journal of Biblical Counseling is fantastic. Uh, the people who write the articles are practitioners at helping folks. They have lots of experience in biblical wisdom, and I have benefited immensely from reading it over the years. Our church is able to, with the subscription we have, we're able to dispense PDFs of their articles to, to folks. 
And they have articles on just about everything. So here you see a whole bunch of Journal of Biblical Counseling articles, and there could be many more listed as, as well. And then uh, Julie Lowe, one of the counselors at CCEF, has recently written a book, a very helpful book, uh, called Childproof, Parenting by Faith and Not Formula. So at every stage, you would have those three things, instruction that hits the various issues that you're going to encounter before you get there, people that you will then discuss and apply this with who are in your same boat, but people who have already gone through it as well, and then suggested resources. In our resource center, we then will have a section of the resource center that is completely just this stuff. So it would be the road to maturity, proactive discipleship stuff for each of the 10 stages and the various resources and articles that we, that we recommended each of those. So I have the remainder of today and I've got two more weeks. Next week I'll give you some more paperwork, but I'd like to uh, go through and give you an idea of some other issues. Uh, just a couple of other issues that... Uh, in addition to authority and submission for those who have infants and, and toddlers. If you were here last week, you heard me say that if we're going to do this well, this uh, road to maturity, proactive discipleship, full life discipleship idea, if we're going to do this well, then we need to begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. And I mentioned that I'm stealing that from a few decades ago from the best-selling book by Stephen Covey, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And the first of those seven habits is begin with the end in mind. So think about the end. Think about what it is you're trying to accomplish. Think about what you want to get to. And then in light of where you want to get to, back off from that and prepare yourself at the stage you're in to make tangible progress toward that. So he uses the example of preparing to golf 18 holes on a golf course. Now, if you're a non-golfer, then you, you're like me. Now, you can be a non-golfer, meaning I've never, you've never golfed, or you can be like me. You've golfed, and you're still a non-golfer, okay? <laughs> that would be me. So I, I've been on the golf course, but I'm not a golfer. I know, the, I know the game, I know the objective of the game, all of that stuff. So he describes it this way. He says, look, when you look at an 18-hole course, the guys and, and gals who are serious about golfing, if they want to score the lowest score they can, because the idea is on each of those holes, you get the ball in the hole in the least amount of strokes possible. So if they're going to get their score as low as possible, then before they ever go, they think about the course. And they look at the course and they say, which of the holes of these 18 are my birdie holes? Which of these holes are the ones where I have the real... So you're starting with the end in mind. Here's the whole course. Then you break it down to, what are my birdie holes? And then you break down those holes. On that hole, does the thing go dog leg left or dog leg right? And so if I'm going to get the ball in position to get it on the green so that I can put it in on my fourth stroke, then I'm going to have to put the first shot over here-ish, second one over here. I mean, that's what they do. But the point is that you're beginning with a vision of how, where you're trying to get. And you're backing off from there to then take action in the, in the present. So if you're a parent, begin with the end in mind. What do you have in mind for your child? What are you trying to accomplish for your child? And I said that over the years in teaching parenting, I have taken from Genesis 2.24, where when God performed the first marriage with Adam and Eve, and then the Bible says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, and he will cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So now Adam and Eve are a couple, they have children, and they're supposed to now prepare their children to do the same thing. So as you begin with the end in mind, one of the things you need to then begin with as you think about the future is for this child to be marriageable. 
And I said last week, marriageable doesn't mean you'll get married. Not everybody gets married. Most people do, but not everybody does. The Apostle Paul didn't get married. He has some instructions for single people in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Not everybody gets married, but most people do. So when you have a child, one of the things you need to assume is that they'll get married. And even if they don't, they need to be marriageable, able to be married. Well, if I'm going to raise somebody who's able to be married, there's a bunch of stuff that goes with that. If by the time they're 19, 20, 23, I know some of you dads are thinking that would be 43 before they can get married. (laughs) But if you're thinking down the road, you know, by the time they're in their mid-20s, are they ready to get married? Then what do I need to provide for them in order for them to be there? You back off at the various stages. So let me modify that to someone who's marriageable. For our children, here's another way to think about it, a more complete way to think about it. We want to raise children who are marriageable followers of Christ. They're marriageable followers of Christ. Whether they get married or not, I don't want the reason they're not married to be because they're not able. I want them to be marriageable. And then if God has marriage for them, great. Either way, they'll be followers of Christ. And I want to raise them to be marriageable followers of Christ. So what does that mean if I'm going to do that? Well, it means, obviously, that at each stage of raising this child, there's going to have to be an emphasis upon the gospel of Jesus. They're going to be followers of Christ. They're going to have to hear and see the gospel, the good news of Jesus, on a regular basis in our home. Early. So yesterday. Our oldest daughter, Lainey, she's 29. We celebrated this past Thursday, we celebrated her 29th birthday. Lainey's 29. It just hasn't sunk in. When I was talking about in first hour, how much time you have left, and I think about the fact that I've got my, Lainey's still a baby. But our baby has a baby. And she's 18 months. Kit is 18 months. Lainey and Kit were over yesterday. We love having Lainey and Kit over. Kit is an amazing little girl, like her mother was. We see so much of her. She said to me, Kit did yesterday, a phrase exactly word for word that Lainey did at the same age. She's a smart little thing. She's an entertaining little thing. I could go on. Do you guys want to hear about my grandchild? (laughs) Really smart little kid, all right? But Allah, what we talked about on the previous pages, she is fearfully and wonderfully made, made in the image of God. You're just amazed at how these children are made by God. But we also know that they, like we, also, if we're going to accurately view them, have a sin nature right? And so here's Kit a couple of times yesterday. She likes to take Papa's phone. And so she takes Papa's phone and then she sort of sneaks off and she looks back. And I just look at her and I say, I go like this, like it's mine. And she takes the phone and goes. (laughs) So we had a couple of times where she stole something. And we had to tell her to return it. So in one case in particular, she takes the item. She's about 10 feet away. Lainey's telling her, Kit, come back here and return that. She stops and she waits. And she just looks. And then she takes about a foot motion in the other direction. She's testing this whole thing. She's only 18 months. And it's so cute. We're trying not to laugh. And Lainey handles it extremely well, but here's what I was seeing, and I told Kim this this morning. I said, you know, and, and then she said, Kit, and then she comes and she brings it. And we say, that's a good girl. We all, you know, tell her how great she is when she does that. I think, and I can't prove this, but I think a part of what's going on in that little brain of hers, she's got a fast-moving brain, 
And in that moment where she's thinking, should I take another step in the opposite direction or should I bring it back? She's smart enough, I really think she's smart enough to do a cost-benefit analysis. <laughs> it's not that she's so great. She just knows what the deal is, okay? But that's part of why you discipline. So that kids come to understand that. And that's a good sign that she's come to under, understand that. So, little kid, 18 months, with her little sin nature that will grow into a bigger sin nature, needs to be taught who she is accurately. That includes her own sin nature and the need for the Savior from sin, Jesus. Early. So the gospel comes early and often. And it's modeled. It's got to be modeled in your home. The kid who hears people talk religious stuff but not live that religious stuff in their home, those kids leave. They leave the church. It's hypocritical because that's what they've seen. So it's spoken of, it's modeled at home. You're trying to, with the end in mind, produce a young adult who is a marriageable follower of Christ so that means the gospel. So as part of these phases that we go through, it's going to have to be peppered with reminding of presenting the gospel, showing the beauty of the gospel, demonstrating that in your, in your home. But also, let me give a few others. If we're going to get this child from here to there, and they're going to be a marriageable follower of Christ, then they are going to have to learn aspects of relationship how to relate person to person. If they're going to be marriageable, they're obviously going to have to do that, right? So Kim and I, and I don't know why we understood this. I don't know who we got it from. I'm just thankful that we did. And so I'm just sharing this with you as wisdom that we got from somebody else. But early on, we understood with our daughters that we needed to teach them to be relational. That God is the one who gave the gift of communication. That words are sacred. That, that human beings made in the image of God are, because they are made in the image of God, able to communicate the way we do like no other creature that God has made. Creatively communicate. Communicate for the purpose of building one another up, edifying one another. All, all kinds of wonderful purposes are achieved through this, but it's a gift from God. It needs to be nurtured. And unless there's some disability, and sometimes our children do have speech impediments and that kind of thing, outside of that, in the normal course, a child can learn to communicate. They learn language very early on. And we are to then cultivate that so that they are relational. So what did God teach us, Kim and me? As soon as those, as soon as those kids could talk when we're in a restaurant, guess who orders for them? They do. They look at the waiter and they tell the waiter what they want. They don't lean over, tell you what they want, so you can tell the waiter what they want. We're teaching them, no, you look, you tell them what you want. Now, obviously, I'm assuming the ability to do this. As soon as they have the ability to do this, they do it. When they talk to people at church, you look at people, you look at them in the eye, and you speak to them. You look them in the eye because that person with whom you're speaking is a valuable person made in the image of God. So you treat them that way. You don't ignore them. You don't walk past them. You don't give them the silent treatment. If they speak to you, you speak back to them, looking them in the eye early. You teach a child to do that early. They become comfortable in relationship. And you see so many young people who are so uncomfortable in their relationships, aren't they? With other people. So to, that means we're going to have to emphasize relational aspects at each of these 
each of these stages. Not only will they need to be relational in general, if they're going to be marriageable, then they have to be able to relate to members of the opposite sex. So now, certainly by the time they get to junior high, we're having to give instruction on how to help them do that in an appropriate way. So the gospel, in word and modeled before them on a regular basis, making them, trying to mold them into being relational very early so that they can become marriageable followers of Christ. And then here's another theme as over the years we've been making these 10 categories of phases that people go through and then issues that they face under each of those. One theme that comes up consistently is, for lack of a better term, peer pressure. Peer pressure. If I'm going to be a marriageable follower of Christ, if I'm going to be a follower of Christ, here's what the Bible teaches. You can't be a follower of Christ and be the fo a follower of the world at the same time. You can be one or the other, but you can't be both. Well, then that, that means that our children are going to have to learn what the world is, what worldliness is, why we don't engage in it, how to identify it, why you say no to it, to put it another way, how you withstand peer pressure to move in a worldly, worldly direction. And how early does that start? You know, most parents aren't taking the class that you're taking right now. So your child is going to interact with some people's kids. Like other people just haven't thought much about this. And they're going to be in contact with kids who are being raised by parents who haven't thought about and really don't care much about, couldn't define it if you, if you paid them. What's worldliness? What's it look like? I'm waiting in right now where angels fear to tread. But is Taylor Swift great for your junior high daughter? You might want to think about that. I'm personally not a big fan. I, I, I literally, I think the only song I know, I, I know she has a song that has the lyric, Shake It Off. Am I right about that? Okay, that's the only thing I know. I know she's in a relationship with Travis Kelsey, and that interest in football has skyrocketed by teenage girls because, because Taylor is the girlfriend of the tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs. I know that. But I've, so I've seen a lot more Taylor Swift than I care to see. And when I say I've seen a lot more Taylor Swift than I care to see, I mean a lot more of Taylor Swift-like body than I care to see. I'm not a big fan of half-naked women entertaining our kids. Whether it's Taylor Swift or anybody else. And I, I don't think we should be fans of having our kids be fans. And I think we should teach them that at an early age. But that's going against the grain, right? When I say peer pressure then toward women, because all of their friends. Now, you could make the case, and as I said, I don't know a whole lot about Taylor Swift. You say, hey, look, I'd rather have Taylor Swift than and then give a whole list of other people that are worse. I'm sure that's true. But for me, the standard is not find some worldly people and find the best worldliness you can. The standard is a follower of Christ. It's the image of Christ. And that means we're going to have to do battle with worldliness. And you're going to have to start that earlier on, early on, and your child is going to have to learn how to withstand peer pressure. Starting certainly in kindergarten. And then it intensifies as you go. And here's what I recommend, and here's what we'll have a steady dose of, a heavy dose of. 
in all of these stages, a heavy dose, dose of your identity in Jesus Christ. The more secure a person is in who they are before Christ, the less they need what everybody else is doing. And you can start to teach that at a young age. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not. But you can. One last thing. And then for our final two weeks, I'll give you some more stuff for next week. In these phases where we teach principles from God's Word like we did here with authority and submission. And then we get people together who are in the same phase, people who have been through it, and we make recommendations for how you go about what you're doing. We're going to present things that are recommendations as exactly that, just recommendations. If we're not careful with what we do here, the applications the recommendations and applications that we make can become confused with truth and doctrine. And we've got to keep those separate. So here's an example. I would make a recommendation, if you want to see a child grow up to be marriageable, which means relational, which means they talk to people and look them in the eye, all the stuff you heard me say, then I would make the recommendation to parents to delay as long as you can, having your kids have their face buried in a screen. I would recommend that. But I can't give you a chapter and verse in the Bible so that if somebody does that sooner than I think is wise, I can't say, and I don't want this to be a place that censors people for making a different choice. So we'll regularly have to make clear these are recommendations and applications of wisdom as best we can do it. And if you find it helpful, there it is. But you will have to make the choice before the Lord on something like that. At what age am I going to allow my kids to start independently playing video games on their phone? If you've got a boy, keep them away from video games as long as you can. I'm telling you to do that but obviously you have to make the decision. So we have to separate applications and recommendations from, that are matters of wisdom from doctrine and truth that are matters of sin and, and righteousness. One other example, I'll be done. Hey, we want to, we wanna, by God's grace, produce marriageable followers of Christ. And those marriageable followers of Christ are going to go through an education process at home, but they may go through an education process outside of the home. If you're not homeschooling, then they're going to go to school somewhere. So you gotta have to make a decision as parents, are, are we gonna homeschool? Are we able to homeschool? And if we are able, do we want to? Do we think that's best? If we're not gonna homeschool, then there are public schools and there are Christian schools. And do we have the option of going to a Christian school? If we do, do we want to do that? So in a church, you are generally a church that's careful about these applications versus doctrine true things, where you don't impose the same approach on everybody simply because you have found that to be wise and helpful. So you're going to have people who have kids in public school. You're going to have people who have kids in Christian school, and you're going to have people who homeschool their kids. That's exactly what we have in our church. And here's what all of them have in common from a biblical, doctrinal standpoint. That parents are responsible for the education of their children. Whether they're in public school, Christian school, and obviously homeschool. But even if you partner with a Christian school or a public school, guess what? You're still the one responsible for their education according to the Bible. So we will want to hammer that home. You're responsible before God for what your child is taught and then how it is that you either reinforce or counteract as the need arises what they are taught. 
You're responsible, so then you have to make a choice about which of these avenues is best. And not everybody's going to choose the same one. So I'm just putting that out there now because it's one of the dangers with having these kind of highly applicational things. We tend to associate our applications with truth. When I give you examples of what we did with Laney and Annie, I'm get, that's what they are. And if they're helpful to you, by all means, then do them. But I make no claim that what we did is exactly right, that everybody needs to do it the same way, or that I have a chapter and verse on doing it that way. Okay? All right. Let's bow together. We'll continue next week. Father, thank you for giving us the, the Word of God. That tells us who you are, who we are, why we're here, what you are carrying out in your world. And Lord, why you give us children, why you uh, give us the institution of marriage, and for those of us who participate in those, what it, the kinds of things that we need to do uh, in applying the principles of your word in order to accomplish your objectives in the lives of those that you, with whom you put us in contact. For my brothers and sisters, for whom you do not have marriage and you do not have parenting, for them to be part of the larger family of God and to be, in effect, aunts and uncles to the children that are, that are in, your, in your church family and to see their roles that way. So, Lord, thank you for giving us your word, telling us these things so that they are a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. Help us in the months ahead and the years ahead to develop a robust, teaching process for people to prepare them for the stages in which this discipleship to which you have called us is to be carried out. Go with us today, this week. May we serve you in a way that honors you. Bring us back together next Lord's Day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.